Petri Dish is a product of Petri Dish Media, all rights reserved. Petri Dish is a science comedy podcast and should not be used as medical advice. Do not get medical advice from a podcast. And therefore, as a free man, I take pride in the words, Ich bin ein Science! Science! Yes. I know the human being and fire can just peacefully. This was their finest. Guys, welcome to Petri Dish. I'm Nathan. I'm Sean. So if you guys have been following us, you know that we've spent a couple episodes now exploring and reckoning with the ways that racism has interrelated with science and informed science starting from the era of empiricism all the way to modern genetics to 2017, 18, 19, and 20. Today, we're going to kind of cap our conversation on racism and science. I mean, there's more of it out there. But, but we're going to focus today on racist experiments that have happened throughout the history of modern science. And then we're going to finish off talking about IQ, which is something that I'm really mad about, and it's a totally <laughs> bullshit conversation. You know, something Sean's going to talk about is that IQ does not necessarily have to be a racist measure, but it's so frequently co-opted for racist means. Yeah, it's going to be fun to talk about, I think. IQ is maybe the greatest scientific lightning rod for racism right now. You know what I mean? Uh, it, it comes up so often. So we'll get to that part and we'll just have rambly, angry conversations for the last 20 minutes or whatever. So let's get into it. So in past episodes, we've talked a lot about things like phrenology, experiments that are undertaken with racist premises for racist means and were illegitimate and, and shitty because they were racist. But what we're talking about, what we're focusing on today are things that are not just racist experiments, but experiments conducted on human beings. The first great ones were unsurprisingly done in the South during the, 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 not the Civil War, during the antebellum period before the Civil War. Sean, tell me about him. Right. So the first one that we're going to talk about is J. Marion Sims in the 1840s. So Sims is sometimes considered the A father. great game, but it really <laughs> fell out. <laughs> there are some people who love Sims 4. What? That are still playing Sims 4. They're very interesting. Some people were still on the Donald Reddit, right? Like, <laughs> like we can't account for all the No, I'm beings. just saying, just like you and I play Alpha Centauri's every once in a while still, right, right, you know, right. there's some people who are still very into the Sims. So, so J. Marion Sims. Yes. Sims is considered by some to be the father of gynecology. That's already a bad start. <laughs> I know. Right? There should have been a mother of gynecology. <laughs> if there was ever a discipline that should have been mothered instead of fathered. Yeah, it's, it's like older it. brother of proctology. <laughs> <laughs> don't, I don't want to know that. Anyway, Sims successfully pioneered a surgery for treating vesicovaginal fistulas. Okay. Okay, which is a potential issue of a complicated childbirth. So if childbirth goes wrong a little bit, you can get these fistulas. And the fistula is an opening forming between two things that weren't supposed to be connected. Okay, so in this case, the bladder and the vagina. Wow, okay. So very important stuff. Again, father of gynecology. Right. Twist. What's the twist? <laughs> the twist is that he essentially figured out how to surgically fix the fistula by experimenting on enslaved people. Okay. Jeez. So three of those enslaved women that we know the names of are Lucy, Anarka, and Betsy. These three women, there, there's some question as to what choice they had about it, right? Enslaved right. people, of course, generally don't have very many uh, choices. Limited um, choices, and those choices are kind of structured by something. Right. Right. <laughs> yes. There's, wow, man. There's a lot of debate amongst modern gynecologists, often for whatever reason, male gynecologists. I don't, I don't know what the deal is, but there's a lot of gynecologists that will defend Sims. I mean, why can't people just... Be like, yes, this guy was very important for the development of gynecology. Also, a son of a bitch. Why can't people just, like, <laughs> say that? Like, why, why is it so hard? 
Yeah, I mean, I don't. Of course, they're gynecologist guys. <laughs> like, well, so, so weird guys. So what some of these modern gynecologists say is that he, they believe that he got permission from the enslaved women, in, in the sense that like he informed them that he was going to be doing surgery sure. on them to try to fix this thing. Sure, and he, that he had a contract with them, or that like, well, he, I, I think he. Uh, borrowed them from their owners. So wow. He had, a, he had a contract with the owners. Complicated. But Wait, no, it's not. <laughs> Fuck that guy. <laughs> right, exactly. But, but there was a lot of stigma surrounding them. In huh. that you'd kind of, it'd be very difficult to not be constantly like urinating, essentially. Oh. And, and so, so people would have the stigma and then just die or something from not treating it or something like that. Well, so a lot of times it wouldn't kill you. It's just, it would make your life worse. You, you would always be like urine stained and not smell good. And right. Stuff. Just and like so, I like M. Night Shyamalan's avatar better than the TV show. <laughs> Holy shit. And that's been a huge burden on my life. <laughs> wow. It's been hard to see people, yeah. to talk to them openly. That's, I just oof. really think he has great fight choreography. No. <laughs> oh my god, that was some of the worst parts. Okay, anyway. <laughs> so, the factor that the modern gynecologists bring in is like, he talked to these slave women, he explained what he was going to do, and he was trying to help them with a thing that was that's bad. Right. And that it's entirely possible that they were like, oh, hey, that sounds great. I'd love that help. Now, of course their consent or what they thought about it or how they felt about it is lost to history, right? Right, because, probably like, vaguely on purpose. <laughs> yes, I would say so. I don't know if Marion Sims was <laughs> trying that hard. One of the sort of facts that comes up about this is that these surgeries were performed without anesthetic. Wow, jeez. Which, to me, sounds like a very serious bummer. <laughs> it's like almost racist the way you even said that <laughs> I, just, I, I would imagine most of us today yeah it sounds like, like shit yeah please do not operate on me in any kind of way without anesthesia yeah um when people speculum my dick hole i get anesthesia <laughs> yeah. i at least have a beer <laughs> yeah yeah if not like you know a couple I fingers pour of whiskey, whiskey. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now the thing is that in his first few attempts of doing this Anesthesia was not yet universally accepted. Right, sure. For all procedures. There were still some dangers with like using ether on people. Right. Dosing could be difficult. Right. And so relatively early on, anesthesia was around. Okay. When Sims was like finishing up, figuring out how to do this surgery and everything. Right. So he did overlap with the period of anesthesia, but at that time it was like there's some operations you do with anesthesia and some of them that aren't serious enough to take the risk. Like any Civil War injury, based on the movies I've seen. <laughs> Just take a hacksaw to it. Yeah. Now, you know, of course, these women were enslaved, so there's an intrinsic coercion to anything that... Any surgery you do to them. I have a hard time imagining the conversation <laughs> that feels good by modern standards, right? Well, yeah, so yeah. it's just the crazy thing is like, seriously, that one of the articles that's in the show notes is an Atlantic article from 2018 that's like part of the debate about whether Sims was a good guy or a bad guy. It's right? funny the kind of debates we have in polite society. Sure. That are kind of like, I don't know, fuck this guy. <laughs> right, Yeah. That's the thing, is that people have this weird, uh, they have a weird time attaching the rest of the sentence about them being racist onto people who have done something good. Yeah, Thomas yeah. Jefferson wrote some pretty good stuff. We've so, talked about him. Yeah. Not even a good scientist. No, not really. He was a good poet. <laughs> <laughs> and we all know poetry shit. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so, Sims, hey, did he do anything good? I think so. Was he racist and he operated on black women to do this? Like, if he wasn't racist at all, why was it black women that he went to the slave owners to get a contract? I've seen photos. There were white women. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Eventually, right, after he finished up doing a lot of experiments on black women, he moved up north and then did some more experiments on Irish women. Wow. Uh, but in any case, so we have many, we have, we, this actually transcends race more than we thought. This is a guy who sucks in general. If you're I, Irish or black, you should think this guy's a dickhead. I, I think he just, he wanted to be able to do his experiments on people who couldn't really punch back. Right. It's like how early Dutch anatomists cut up dead bodies in morgues, right? They're like, oh, I need to figure out what organs are like. Sure. So I'm going to get people who can't say no. Because <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I agree with yeah. you. Well, so, you know, as we go through the rest of these examples, 
I think we're going to find a common trend. Yeah. If it's not always black people, which hey, often it is black people. It's people who are dispossessed of power. Right. People who can be used. We don't have to think about them as like agents or as conscious subjects. So we can throw away any ethical norm that we would reserve for people we've deigned as equal to us. Right. And so because of that, you know, I don't have a problem saying Sims is racist. In fact, that guy. Yeah. I tell you what, dude, you know, Django Unchained, I thought, <laughs> I thought showed me everything I needed to know about that period, but I'm learning <laughs> yeah, you missed out that Django Unchained is not as full a picture <laughs> of race in America as I thought it was. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Still learning. Still learning at, uh, what are you, 29 now? Yeah, I'm 29. That's beautiful. Yeah, I, I just listened to Ezra Klein. Turns out my brain is still changing. Ooh. Yeah, I'm drinking sake right now, so my brain is changing a lot. <laughs> Okay, guys. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break? Let's take a break. All right, when we get back, we're going to talk about Tuskegee. The following is an actual advertisement. Today's episode of Petri Dish is presented to you by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. It provides podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so that you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. We recently joined as a member, and you can too. It's really easy. You just need to apply to become a member, and you're immediately connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's at podgo.co, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O. Okay, guys, now we're going to talk about the infamous Tuskegee experiments. So, Sean, I know this from a George Lucas film. I know that the Tuskegee experiments were some guys who <laughs> fought in World War II. George Lucas <laughs> likes them a lot. They're the basis of Jar Jar Binks, apparently. George Lucas has a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> Honestly, for a second, I was trying to remember what in The Phantom Menace was about a syphilis experiment. And then, and then I, I, yeah. You remember that he made a whole movie about it. No, he well he made yeah the uh, Tuskegee now, now, Airmen right yeah yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. he made a movie about the Tuskegee Airmen I, I was confused about what stage of the joke we were trying to hop out okay <clears throat> the Tuskegee <laughs> syphilis experiment slash disaster is a terrible stain on the medical and scientific community just like Phantom Menace <laughs> there are some people who ardently defend the prequel movie it's very memeable yes now that we've seen the new movies we know. <laughs> There is something worse than memeable badness. It's just boringly bad. <laughs> Although, I am impressed that we, we are doing three episodes on racism and we didn't talk about the racism in Phantom Menace because that shit with, like, the Honorable Trade Federation. We don't want to make people sad. Yes, okay. I mean, that's too <clears throat> racist. Okay. Sean, let's have a tariff. We must sell Nissan to Jedi. <laughs> let's not do this. <laughs> okay. So, back in 1926... Health problems were seen as a big impediment to economic development. I'm okay? half Asian, so I'm allowed to do what I just did. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Everyone should know we have a Korean mother. So when we do offensive Asian accents, it's just regular offensive. It's not racist level offensive. Yeah. Yeah. We shouldn't have said we're half. We should have said we're, <laughs> we should, Our parents are Korean. We're full-blooded Asian. All right. Are we going to get away with that? Eh, Stacy's Korean. She'll edit it. <laughs> She'll take it out. She's she's enough of the show to, to count. Our editor's Korean Korean. There you go. Okay. All right. 1926. That was a time where, you know, we were, economically speaking, there was some stuff going on. But people were unhealthy as fuck. You had all sorts of worm problems in the South. And people loved STDs. Yeah, syphilis. Guess, the Great Gatsby. Very famously, Nick Carraway gave syphilis to the Gatsby. And that's why he died in a pool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so syphilis was a very big problem, and it was thought that up to 35% of the reproductive age population had syphilis wow. in the United States. Uh, was that what they assumed then, or is that like our current assumption? Uh, that was the sort of government prevalence estimates at the time. Wow. Yeah. One third had syphilis. Yeah. But everyone died at like 40 anyway, right? <laughs> no. What, in 26? People lived a little bit longer than that. So a third of Americans had syphilis. That's fucking nuts. Yeah. So it was a huge problem. And the government thought like, this is an economic problem and a military problem. And first we, you know, banned alcohol. <laughs> and like, it turned out that didn't help as much as we <laughs> yeah, thought. Not much. <laughs> and it turned out to be a military problem because if all your fighting boys, all your fighting Johnnies yeah. got syphilis in their Johnnies. Yeah then, you know, they can't fight Nazis good. They're not going to have quite as much pep in their step. Right. So in 1932, the U.S. What? 
You I was going to say they got too much pepper in their pepper. But <laughs> <laughs> okay. It wasn't good enough, but then you saw me pause. Yeah. So I had to say it. It's okay. So in 1932, the Public Health Service started a collaboration with the Tuskegee Institute, which, you know, is a famous institution, university, essentially, college in the South that predominantly focused on black economic development, black education, right? Right. And... In this collaboration, they enrolled 600 black sharecroppers in Alabama okay. to a study. 399 of those men had syphilis, and 201 did not, and they were a control group. Okay. So the men were told that they were being treated for bad blood. Mm. Okay. And bad blood at the time was a broad colloquialism. Sometimes for syphilis, but also for things like anemia or fatigue. Liking Taylor Swift. <laughs> she had a song, Bad Blood. Oh. She's like, you know I got syphilis. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> she's going to come after us. She's litigious. <laughs> We're in danger. Litigious. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay. Initially, the plan was they were going to check on both groups through a year. So like maybe like monthly or something like that. And then after a year, they were going to start treating the syphilis group. And see how that goes. That costs money though, Sean. Yes. Funding dried up. Okay? Oh, shit. And so the dude in charge of the study was like, I don't really want to cancel the study because it's like sort of interesting. So instead, how about we just don't treat anybody? And we'll just observe them over time and see what kinds of terrible things happen to them. Which, by the way, uh, didn't people have syphilis for a long time before that? Like, didn't they already know what happened to people with syphilis? Yeah, so kind of. So... First thing, I mean, syphilis has been around for a good clip of time. Yeah. Right? The Italians knew it as the French pox. The French knew it as the Spanish pox. <laughs> like, I'm only half joking. Like, really? Yeah, like, yeah, literally yeah. every European country was like, who do I hate? Yeah. They're the, they're the pox. Yeah. It's their syphilis. So the, the thing is that there wasn't a really good kind of large-scale scientific study about what kinds of different symptoms you could have and what percentage right. of the time they come up. We hadn't, in very classic Carl Linnaeus fashion really written down what happened with syphilis. Right. So they wanted all of the details. Now, the thing is, though, uh, to your credit, what you're talking about, there was a, one study, the Oslo study. Mm. Okay. And the Oslo study, a bunch of Northern Europeans, was done uh, retrospectively, which means that they found out, you know, a bunch of people died from syphilis. Right. And then they went back through and started asking family members, like, what symptoms did they have when? Some people that they diagnosed with syphilis but weren't dead yet, they were like, do you remember when you started having this symptom, when you started right. having that symptom? So they, they pieced together these histories of those patients. So that was a pretty comprehensive study. Right. But you're not perpetuating racism that way. Right. Which so, is half of our goal here, really. So these people running the study in the U.S. was like, okay. but it's bullshit. Yeah. That's trying to go back and piece together a history. Right. We have real human beings. We can just watch yeah. it happen in real time to black people. So the these black men in the Tuskegee experiment were lied to. They were given placebo medications. Uh, and these doctors basically watched them through the years as they died from syphilis. In 1940, we got World War II going on, right? 250 of the men joined the army. And in the army, you get screened for syphilis. And, you know, it popped up that, like, hey, yeah, they definitely do have syphilis. Okay, so they get treated then, because you can't have that in the army, right? Right, so the army says, let's get these guys treated. And then the study organizers purposefully intervened to prevent their treatment. Wow. Okay, so it wasn't just lying to them and not giving them medication directly. They also stopped other people from curing their syphilis. Right. And so in 1947, that's 15 years after the start of the study... Penicillin was found to be a very effective treatment for syphilis. So before that, there was ways that you could use mercury to try to treat syphilis. And sometimes that helped and sometimes it didn't. And right. sometimes mercury is like, a tricky thing. Right. And sometimes it like really fucked you up. So there's treatments and then they must have given the treatments to those guys at that point. Right. So penicillin was like a knockout treatment for syphilis. Right. It was great and way better than this mercury shit. And again, they actively kept the black men of their study from getting penicillin. Wow, okay. And then, in 1968, people began to ask if this study was such a good idea. Is this a good study? Yeah. Is it ethical <laughs> to consign all these men to death 
from the slow rot of an STD. And classic, who says, yes, it is a good idea. <laughs> 1969, the CDC, the American Medical Association, and the National Medical Association, all three of them published their support for the study. If you guys don't remember, this is a great summer for love if you were white. Yes. <laughs> yes. Woodstock, <laughs> The Doors, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, playing for you. <laughs> it was a so, good time, guys. So, you know, the those three organizations all said, we need this study to keep going. Yeah. We definitely don't know what syphilis is yet. And then three years later, 1972, we're in the fucking 70s, 40 years after the start of this study, Congress starts to hold hearings right. about how bad an idea this is. AOC quantum leaped <laughs> and was like, wait a minute, what is this shit? And there was a class action lawsuit filed and then they ended the study. Yeah, threatened the capital, guys. That's how you change things. This study, after 40 years, produced no meaningful scientific data. That's unsurprising. It just kind of sounds like some like weird pervert guys being like, and then there's lesions. The, the thing is, they did do observations of these men, but... In some cases, some of the men were given, you know, like an occasional weirder treatment, like not even mercury, but like some, you know, kind of like folk treatment or something like that. So like there was no good controls done anyway. Right. It was always a bullshit half folklore. Right. And they basically knew that really early on because they published their data, you know, after a few years. And when that paper came out, people read it and were like, Oh, this paper's dumb because they don't do any meaningful controls here. Wow. And then they kept doing the study for another, like, 35 years. Wow. Okay. So Um, it's always a bankrupt study scientifically. Yes. Wow. Okay. And the doctors involved in this study often expressed the view that black men were too dumb and too sexually active to be interested in medical treatment for syphilis. Sure. As a way of internally kind of like justifying why they were doing it. They're like, oh, they wouldn't get treated anyway. Or like, right. it wouldn't matter. But like, yeah. that, it just, it right. completely not true. So, yeah, I mean, this is something we talked about the last episode. But by the standards of the time, it was bad science. Yeah. Anyway, it was clearly unethical. It was based on racist premises. It consigned a lot of people to death. The only reason it stopped is because they're getting sued. And because Congress was like, wait a minute. Yeah, well, so what's so weird to me about it is um you know hey look 30s 40s racism naughtiness like okay we were really bad sure of course i'm sure there were people at the time that were like this seems like a really bad idea right like not not everyone would do a study of this unethical but how 40 years you know what I mean? And it's, right. it's not like this is a thing where it's not like MK Ultra or something, right? Right. It's not a thing that was secret and then we just found out about it. Right. right. It wasn't like, oh, holy shit, we just found out about this in 1972. This was an open start. Like, they were publishing their data. Anybody could come along every, you know, five years or so, an article would get published being like, this is a crazy thing going on right, right. now. And just nobody gave a shit. Nobody cared. And for, for you guys years. who don't know, MK Ultra is where we take a mom and we link her soul to a robot and then kill the mom. And then we hook up a, a kid as a pilot into the robot. And then the robot fights aliens that come periodically. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's the intensity of Evangelion. <laughs> I mean, that's the wrong thing. Yeah, but holy shit. Okay, anyway. MK Ultra is a new type of skis that they uh, pioneered a mammoth. <laughs> All right. Maybe someday we'll talk about MK Ultra. But there's so many bad things about the Tuskegee experiments. Yeah. But it was public and open and bad the wow. whole time, right? And to this day, there's a lot of mistrust of the medical community. And there will be black people that will say, I don't want to get the coronavirus vaccine because Tuskegee. Right. Okay. Uh, aside from the evil of it intrinsically. Right. There is also the continuing repercussions, the fair distrust of the medical community because of shit like this. And this one was done out in the open. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that was 40 years ago is when it ended, right? Like, that was pretty fucking recent. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's Tuskegee. The next two that I want to talk about are different from Tuskegee, not in their evilness, but in how open they were. Okay. So, Tuskegee is, like, weirdly open. Yeah. Okay. Well, how about, I see the notes. It's just, it's just some word I can't say and then Guatemala. Yeah. Terre Haute. Terre Haute and Guatemala. Okay, what's going on here? All right. 
So I think a lot of people have heard of the Tuskegee experiment. Maybe not everybody. I don't think it's taught in schools universally or anything like that. Dad taught me. Yeah. Very young age. <laughs> but these two, Terre Haute and the Guatemala experiments. Dad was like, that's why I'm not getting a COVID vaccine. <laughs> Tuskegee. <laughs> I had not heard of the Terre Haute experiments and the Guatemala experiments. I had not heard about them until okay. I was doing research for this episode. I usually feel very dumb. I'm glad you looked dumb this time. So, we, yeah, we were in the dark. Okay? <laughs> okay, okay. Now, the Terre Haute prison experiments, Terre Haute's a prison, were done in 1943 and 1944. By two Johns, John Cutler and John Mahoney. Mm. Okay. Now, incidentally, Dr. John Cutler was also involved in the later part of the Tuskegee experiments. Wow. So this is just like, that's like a career path in science back then. <laughs> Do terrible racist things to people. I mean, this was a very naughty dude. And I think that this is actually how Terre Haute and Guatemala were discovered, was this guy being involved in all three things. All right, but we'll get to that later. Yes. And this Dr. John Cutler was, he was doing Terre Haute and Guatemala. So he's kind of a narrative thread here, right? But in any case, Terre Haute Prison, Indiana. The U.S. Public Health Service wanted to be able to do studies for treatments and prophylactic measures for sexually transmitted diseases. Wow, man. STDs. Great plague of America. Right. So this is 43, 44. They're like, hey, we still, people's dick's still on fire. Right. right? So we got to... We're in World War II. Right. A lot of soldiers' dicks are on fire. They yes. estimated 350,000 soldiers. Huge cost and burden on the American military. Let's yeah. Let's cure some dicks. Yeah, yeah. Especially gonorrhea was a really big problem at this time. Right. And one of the treatments was to inject your penis with silver. That's... Which is ouchy. Yeah. It's not as much fun. That works? Uh, some, yeah. Yeah. Wow. It wasn't like... Why? It wasn't... Oh, uh, as far as I understand... It's because silver does have antimicrobial properties. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it is you cool. You shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm about to buy a lot of molten silver. Well, it's a, you know how like some people like to drink colloidal silver because they think it's it's doing some I kind of I did not know that. that. That's a whole thing. You uh, have your toes in a lot more Reddit, a lot more <laughs> subreddits than I do, well, sir. So, okay, the reason why I know any of this yeah. is because silver nanoparticles are something that are like legitimately researched as antimicrobial things, either for mm. putting down on surfaces to right. keep things from growing on surfaces or to be injected to do some kind of antimicrobial stuff. Right, because when it's a nanoparticle, it's like it's not a big deal if it's silver. But if you inject a with a whole syringe of silver, <laughs> like that, that's ouchy territory. Yeah. We didn't like that. Yeah. They wanted to see, is there, <laughs> yeah, there's got to be another way. FDR was personally involved. <laughs> Because he, that happened to him like 20 times. Well, so this wasn't a small problem, right? Because STDs would bench... Not with FDR, that was a big problem. <laughs> <laughs> Lyndon Johnson. Um, <laughs> it was estimated that STDs would bench 350,000 soldiers a year. Right. Okay, so that's a lot of dudes that could be shooting Nazis. Right. And so they were like, hey, let's do some experiments to figure out what can we do to treat this? What can we do to prevent people from getting it? So... How about some prisoners? Right. Right? Yeah, they're not real humans. Exactly. Right. So they took 241 prisoners in Terre Haute, and they stuck different strains and amounts of gonorrhea into their penises. Okay? So unlike Tuskegee, in which the black men enrolled in the Tuskegee experiment already had syphilis, in the Terre Haute experiments... They gave them gonorrhea. Right. These 241 prisoners. Yeah. The doctors found it was difficult to get the right dose of gonorrhea into the penis. So then they gave up and called it quits. Okay, hilarious, A. Uh, B, was this a civil rights or civil liberties issue? Which is to say, was it just prisoners? Were they multiracial? Were they like... Was it like different types of folks? They were, they were all... Like, the thing that differentiated them is that they're prisoners, and thus in America we decide we can just kill them and destroy them however we want all the time. Right, so that's a great question. The Terre Haute experiments are not well documented ah. because they barely got started. They got started insofar as they infected the people. Right, right, right. And then they called it quits. Right, they're like, this is hard. So there is not a lot of remaining documentation on the Terre Haute experiments. One can surmise that Terre Haute, Indiana, probably had its fair share of both white and black prisoners. I have no idea who right. were the ones that were treated this way. But if you're Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid and you can't rob railroads in America anymore, you go to South America. 
Yes. Where do you go if the Terre Haute don't work? Exactly. So, the Terre Haute experiments were a bust, but also, U.S. soil. I mean... Awkward. Somebody could ask a question. Right. You know, who knows when, but, like, somebody could. Everyone's speaking English. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, they decided to go all down Latin America way to Guatemala. Right. Okay. And so, this time around in the Guatemala experiments, it was a mix of STDs. They were, like, not just gonorrhea, right. not just syphilis from the Tuskegee guy. If we're gonna bother to go all the way to Guatemala, let's just infect people with fucking everything. Right. So, like Terre Haute, they took people and infected them with STDs. You know, syphilis, gonorrhea, etc. You know, so this is now 1948, after World War II. Okay. After penicillin was found to be an effective treatment for syphilis. Right. 1,308 Guatemalans were infected with syphilis or another STD. In these U.S. government-run experiments... Okay. And 678 of them, so around half or so, were recorded as getting some kind of treatment. Okay? Not typically penicillin, because that was too easy. Right. What kind of treatments? Uh, (laughs) So, I I really... I I read through some of the documents on this. Right. They're not good. Just tell me the most fucked up. No, No, just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, but... So, so in, in some cases, there were things like heat or cold treatments wow okay okay but we're talking like the report with adam driver fucking cia black site fucking kevin bacon and x-men first class level shit yeah and they also they did things like besides the treatment because i again i said like only half of them got treated in the first place right? right and the way that they infected the people with diseases was also not done with what i would call a ton of rigor right they did a lot of really terrible things that just don't make any scientific sense they're basically torturers who wore the guise of science. Yeah, so I have no idea if we're going to keep this chunk that I'm about to say in. Okay. But one example was one person who was dying from syphilis. They were like, well, let's not waste them dying. So then they took gonorrhea from someone else and injected it into the dying person's eyes to see what would happen to their eyes from gonorrhea in the amount of time before they died. Man. Hmm. That's, um... Yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, so, so that's fucked up. Yeah, that's crazy. Yes, and the thing is, Guatemala and Terre Haute is these things ended, and no one knew about it. Wow, no one knew about it. There were there was no congressional hearing. Nothing about this came out until two thousand five by accident. By accident, because it was discovered by a professor. I believe her name is Susan Reverby. So Dr. Reverby was doing some research. On John Cutler. Right. On the, the Tuskegee experiments. Right. Another she, fucked up thing. Right. And so she was like, she wants to study the Tuskegee experiment. She's looking through Cutler's archived papers. And then she finds records of these other experiments. And that's where she found paperwork relating to the Guatemala experiments and the Terre Haute experiments. Then she shared them with the government and then they were released to the public. So Wow. Because, I mean, keep in mind, that's the Bush administration. That's how you know shit's real fuck. If Dick Cheney looks at something, he's like, whoa, that's fucked up. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we need to release that. Right. That's Dick Cheney. So that is 60 years after the experiments. Wow. We found out about them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, there's thousands of scientists. I mean, by now, there's, of course, probably hundreds of thousands of scientists, right? Sure. Yeah, I guess. I mean, a few of them are going to be basically the Golden State Killer. <laughs> I mean, just like statistically, right? Like a yes. few of them are going to be sick fucks. Yeah. And and compound that with the fact that I think in, it's not just Western civilization, but in like at least sedentary, because I don't know about hunter-gatherers, but in sedentary civilization, there is like a mythos about great men in history, right? Who usually have to make remarkable sacrifices. They have to look at Patroclus die before they do really awesome stuff. And like, I think that reoccurs with people like just John Cutler guy, who's like, like, yes, people must die for my science. And it's like science isn't even good. Right. Like, I feel like part of this process, part of the reason to have institutional collaborative science is so people don't ever make this decision to do really gung ho, crazy, evil shit under the guise of science. We've stripped away that guise and been like, there's no reason ever to do evil things in some nonsensical empirical pursuit. Yeah, it's 
you know, I guess just the part that still disturbs me about it is, like, Cutler worked for the U.S. Public Health Department. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he wasn't, like, a lone wolf scientist right. out there, right? He got government money to do this study that he, like, described, like, hey, this is the kind of study I want to do with over a thousand Guatemalans. He reported directly to Robert Kennedy. <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I mean, that's... You know, in our next little bit, when we briefly talk about, like, Nazis and Unit 731, like, all of these things had some kind of institutional support. You right. Know I mean, it's I mean, still not great men, I mean, obviously evil men, quote-unquote, in their minds, great men science. It's right. also, they have institutions. This is about the structure and institution of racism. Right. And it was there all it the way It was there. Them, you know what I mean? All the way for them. I mean, and, and I was obviously kidding about Robert Kennedy. He was still being grown in a potato homunculi canister <laughs> in 1948. Yeah, they hadn't hatched him yet. <laughs> All right. All right. Let's take a break. And then when we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about the Nazis and Unit 731. The following is an actual advertisement. Write a review, and then you can share it. With the world. In any social media platform. And then your friends see it, and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and CastBox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day. Which is on the 8th of every month of every year of every century of every... You get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day Podcast Review Day. Because podcasters work their butts off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. Pod Rev Day. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. Hashtag Pod Rev Day. P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y. Guys, we're back. We're going to take a, a quick breather, okay? We're going to feel good about America for a second because I think we've been delving a lot into all the, the evils that the structure of racism in, in American science has enabled. Let's talk Nazis. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's talk Nazis and the Japanese uh, imperialists. <laughs> <laughs> Miyazaki's a great guy <laughs> to, <laughs> to make us feel a little better about ourselves. Yeah, okay. So we're just going to dip our toe into this because, yeah. frankly, if you want to, you can find entire podcasts and definitely podcast episodes out there about how naughty the Nazis are. And, like, in a way, as two Americans, it's almost lazy bullshit for us to just shit on Nazis and Japanese imperialists because, like, it almost obfuscates the extent to which America at the exact same time believed in eugenics and it conducted racist experiments. Right, yeah. I mean, last episode, we talked about forced sterilizations. Famously, the Nazis came to California to learn how we were doing forced sterilizations. That's right. We, we taught the Nazis how to do it. Okay? Yeah, so, like, they did it on Ronald Reagan's chimpanzee. <laughs> <laughs> Robert was like, come here, mommy. <laughs> Fuck. Okay, anyway. Okay, so let's feel better about America for a second. Briefly, yes. And just remember that fascists are like even... Well, I guess our point is that they're not even worse. But like, they're also bad. They did very bad things. What, I, did, the, I, I think, what did they do? Okay. Yeah. There's two groups that I'm talking about here. One, you know, the Nazis and I think most famously like Mengele or something like that. Right. right. Human experimentation that they did. And then there was Unit 731, which was a Japanese military unit. And they did human experimentation, mostly in occupied China. Okay. Did they not have a cool scientist name? Or was it just like, Dr. Takashi is like too banal? <laughs> and it, it was, yeah, basically. Yeah, okay. Because Mangle is very memorable. Yeah, well, it's interesting to see the differences between how Unit 731 members were treated compared to how, like, Mengele was treated. How? Well, because there was, like, the Nuremberg trials. Right, okay, right? yeah. All Unit 731 members that were captured by Americans were pardoned immediately and quietly. Okay. We consciously decided we would not punish any of them. How about Mengele? Uh, I think he's hiding in South America. No, I, I don't... Still? <laughs> no, I don't, I'm Didn't sure. Gregory Peck play him in <laughs> Boys in Brazil? I don't know. Is Not literally, <laughs> but I think he played someone like him. Well, but no, it is interesting how, like, uh, you know, quick history detour. Like, America got Japan and was like, man, 
fucking Russia, am I right? <laughs> like, we need to get you guys up and going. And they, and besides the major military war criminals, they pardoned everybody else. Uh, Shinzo Abe's grandfather, like, full-blown ran a slave camp and then became the prime minister pretty quickly thereafter because America was like, who gives a fuck about Japan? Also, we nuked you, uh, whoopsie. You know, whereas with Germany, you know, we, we felt like, had to really put a hammer on the Nazis. Except for the ones that we paperclipped. You know oh, what I yeah. Mean? But yeah like, you mean the guys who, like, got us to the moon? <laughs> yeah, at least in part, yeah. You know, so we paperclipped some of the Nazis. And then some of the other ones, hey, we had a trial, okay? Yeah. Unit 731s, the ones that we had, swept under the rug. The and ones the needed... Russians got, yeah. they held on trial. Oh. Um. So, so the Russians actually did a better job on this one than we did as far as the Japanese uh, human experiment war criminals. Yeah. But look, you can Google it if you're brave, okay? Suffice to say, they did a lot of bad things, including forced infections with diseases, testing out a lot of things like how long can a person be in sub-zero temperatures for before they die and things like that. So they did a lot of human experimentations, some of which are sort of similar to what Nazis did and apparently what we did in Guatemala and shit. But hey, Sean, that's just the price of science and progress, isn't it? I mean, so that's the thing, is that it was all dog shit. Right. Almost none of the data is usable from any of the experiments that the Nazis or the Japanese did. There are very, very rare instances of some scientists arguing that one or two of the experiments might not be scientifically that shitty. But for the most part, that's like cherry picking out like specific examples of some data that's not bad. That's also a weird flex from a scientist that makes you wonder what are right. what are you trying to say? Some buddy? people are trying real hard, but like the ultimate takeaway is the vast majority of the data that came out of those human experimentations, no good, no okay. good for anything. Guys, remember if you're talking to a scientist and they're like, "Oh yeah, I have this amazing study where I get to torture people," it's probably not good science. <laughs> It might be good torture, but it's not good science. They're yeah. doing it for other reasons. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think they got some some extra. There's a little extra on top of the science. Right. Side. It's just like the science is just because they went to college. It's like <laughs> really they're in it for the torture. Yeah. So, you know, the Nazis in Unit 731, really, they're just in this episode. Like, I, I just, I just want to put it out there. Hey, you can't have an episode about human experimentations and racism and all that stuff. Without at least mentioning those dudes. But this is mostly about America. Right. So let's go back to American racism. Right. There's a really famous example that was an Oprah movie that still undergrids so much modern cancer research. Yeah. What do we do to poor Henrietta Lacks? Yeah. So, you know, this is kind of closing out this section. Henrietta Lacks and the cells that were taken from her without her permission really do facilitate a lot of science that has happened over the past 60 years, I guess. Damn. 70 almost. So there's a really great book on this, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks by Rebecca Skloot. And as you mentioned, a movie now. And so I think hopefully a lot more people know her story. Henrietta Lacks was a black woman who passed away from cervical cancer in 1951 at Johns Hopkins University. Mm, Shit place. Just kidding. (laughs) So a doctor there took some of those cervical cancer cells and found that they were able to survive and continue dividing outside of her body and pretty much indefinitely. So it was the first immortal human cell line. Listen to our episode on human immortality, why it's available for you. (laughs) Hey, well, I mean, what does that mean, though, man? That's like really cool words put together. How can a human cell line be immortal? What does that mean? Right. So most of the time that you take cells out of a human body, you know, skin cells, or you take some liver cells or something, what we would call them is a primary cell line, which means it's coming right out of the the tissue. It's still nice and juicy. And those guys, for the most part, live in a community. They're used to living in a community that is your organ and your tissue and everything like that. And so they're used to all of those signals. They're used to fresh blood getting pumped and oxygen coming in, and CO2 getting taken away. Right. It's like In the Heights with Anthony Ramos, written well, by Lin-Manuel Miranda. So you, you were talking about that show, uh, Alone. On, yeah, on the History Channel. Right. It's just called History now. Well, so this is And what, it's not a history show. <laughs> but see, that's what happens to human cells normally. Right. Is you put them out alone. They die pretty quick. Right. They can't handle it alone. Right. Okay, that, they weren't ever meant to be that way. Human cells are social. In the Heights. <laughs> okay. But... As we talked about in our cancer episode, 
Cancer cells disregard a lot of rules. Right. They're loners. They can be. Yeah. And so what they found were that the cervical cancer cells from Henrietta Lacks were loners enough that they could make it out on their own. You could take them and isolate them and they would keep on dividing outside the body. So if they're weirdo cells, why is that useful for research? They're still relatively human. They're still relatively human. That's like the most awesome super mutant shit you've ever said to me. <laughs> Those cells are relatively human. Well, I will say that there is there is an interesting question embedded in there, which is out of the cell lines that we have now, which are, you know, thousands, we have thousands of cell lines now, which ones accurately recapitulate what about human biology? And it's not always straightforward. Not every cell line can accurately tell you what your cell inside your body is going to do or oh, something like that. That's cool. It is more complicated than that. Okay. But still, it is a human cell. Right. And it being a human cell was a huge breakthrough. Okay. Because we had immortalized cell lines from like mice and stuff like that. But we really wanted to know what happens in a human cell when we put it under these conditions, when we're trying to develop a polio vaccine which HeLa cells, as they were named, Henrietta Lacks, HeLa. Right. Those HeLa cells helped with the development of the polio vaccine. Okay, well, this sounds like just like this amazing success story, right? It's like this woman, it's tragic that she died, but she, with consent, gave her cells to science, and her family makes two bucks every time someone uses the HeLa cells. Like, I don't know, it's just the same kind of win-win for everybody, right? Everybody's credit. Right, so this here is the significant bummer, right? And it's beautiful you set it up like that. I know you did it on purpose. <laughs> is that they never got consent. Okay. <laughs> and now the the very light pushback that people will sometimes give is, hey, we didn't ask very many people for consent back then in general. Right. Like the it idea, wasn't a race thing. <laughs> well, we just didn't get consent from people. The idea of informed consent was something... It's not like no one had brought it up before. Right. But it was not as institutionally handled now right where like you need to get informed consent now or it was mostly just a, will come down like a you. victorian male sauna kind of thing <laughs> like hey bro do i have your <laughs> consent bro right but so the thing is that like they did not get her consent right. nor was her family aware that this happened at all for decades or generations right or uh, for decades yeah so 51 is when they were taken out and i don't think the family heard about it until the 2000s how do you think they heard about it were they just like getting like the great granddaughters getting something done and they're like oh yeah we got this crazy gila cell and so, she's like why is it called gila to, to my understanding Rebecca Skloot, who wrote the book, The Immortal Life of Henrietta Lacks, was doing research on the HeLa cells, found out that they were named after Henrietta Lacks, and then went to the family and was like, wow. was like hey, did you guys know? And wow. the family was like, what the fuck did you just say to What me? are you talking about? <laughs> right. So that's my understanding. Wow. And that's fucked up. The family has never gotten anything from the use of these cells. So these cells generate millions of dollars worth of medical breakthroughs. Right. Apparently but doesn't have shit. The cells themselves... Well, from that. Well, it's just... The, so the cells themselves aren't patented. Right. Has that ever even happened, by the way? Has anyone ever patented cells? I think there was a case law about whether you could or not, and it was decided you couldn't patent cells that aren't modified in some way. See, so I don't... What app? You like, I don't get it. Like, corporations get to be people, and, like, <laughs> your cells don't get to be you. Like, what's going on here, guys? Well, what? I think that part of the idea was, like, you can't patent a thing created by nature. There has to be a human intervention. Yeah, but don't you get to own you? Like... <laughs> I don't think you can patent humans. Right, right. You that, can't well, patent that you. <laughs> I patented you. Uh-oh. I own you, Sean. <laughs> I wish you had told me. Um, okay. But there has been millions of dollars worth of other intellectual property based on discoveries from HeLa cells, using HeLa cells, right? So the family has never gotten any money, and some members of the family are like, can we have some money? A little displeased by it. <laughs> yeah, but also it's hard because who are they supposed to get who money from? Who would give the money? Johns Hopkins University, for example, does not have a patent on HeLa cells or pretty much anything derived from HeLa cells. Hey, let me tell you this, though. Fuck John Hopkins. They got the money anyway. I paid so much money to CTY, Center for Talented Youth. Those motherfuckers could give a little bit of the money I paid to study fucking marine biology. Sure. To give to this family. All right, anyway, look. Fuck John Hopkins. HeLa cells are still being used all over the world. In 2014, for example, the full genome of HeLa cells was published. Wow. Okay, now see, here's the thing. 
publishing genomes is something that happens pretty often nowadays. Okay. A lot of times you would do that for cell lines because you want to know what specific mutations and idiosyncrasies might exist for that cell line, right? Right. So HeLa cells being so commonly used, you're like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, you want that genome to be out there. Okay. Except she like literally has living family members. Right. So their private DNA information is now just out there on the internet, disclosed completely without their permission, without consulting them at all. I know that sounds bad, but... Do we have a right to privacy in America? <laughs> I mean, for I right, thought that was only in Europe or something. Medical data and stuff like that. You right. Still, you like well for white people. <laughs> I feel like I, that's pretty clear in I, the I, in the in the Fourteenth Amendment. It says yeah. equal protection for all. Uh, asterisks <laughs> for honkies. <laughs> okay, for a little bit of fairness to America, for <laughs> just this. Sentence. Hot dogs are great. I think it was like a Dutch team that published the genetic information. Oh, yeah, but like, so we went to Amsterdam a couple years ago. They have so much racist shit in Amsterdam. <laughs> you remember that tulip place, man? The tulip market? They had so many jockeys. Oh, yeah. Wow, yeah. that was disturbing. I remember They're that. They're hip to it. I remember, like, Black Pete, they took down an episode from The Office. Because mm. one of them dresses up as that Pete character from Dutch mythology, right. who's like Santa's helper, who's also like just straight up blackface. Right. Yes. Yes. There you go. Thank you. I'm glad we got there. But in any case, family was not consulted. Now, best case scenario, the family is on like a panel to be able to veto experiments that want to use HeLa cells. Right. I'm sure there's some white male scientist out there who's like, why do they get to have a say <laughs> if I inject this into somebody's eyeballs? <laughs> Yes, I'm sure. I'm sure there's. <laughs> I get to masturbate it. where I want, but yet still no money. Okay, right, so right that they have still not received any money for this entire huge discovery and all of the resulting medical breakthroughs. Right. Fuck. Fuck. Well, this episode took longer than we expected, uh, and we got a whole whole chunk of shit to talk about another evil of modern science: the IQ test. Yeah, it looks like IQ tests and sort of yelling at modern science is going to have to wait. We'll put out that episode on like Thursday or Friday or something yeah. and have this one be the Monday release. Uh, also, also, it's a good thing we cut in because just a few minutes ago, I was talking about how a Dutch team published the HeLa cell genome. It wasn't Dutch people. I'm sorry, Dutch people. It was the Germans. Both equally racist, though. <laughs> like, because I remember we went to a chocolate museum in Cologne did all sorts of stuff being like, look at how exotic and black chocolate is. And it's super racist. And then we went to Amsterdam and they still had all those jockeys we talked about. Yeah. So both very racist cultures. <laughs> well, in any case, it was the Germans. <laughs> it was the Germans this time. Okay, all right. That's good. So yeah, so we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode here and then put out all that juicy IQ stuff right. later this week. Thank you to Stacy Song for sound, Brian for art, to our German and Dutch listeners. <laughs> yes. You guys are great. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, you know, thank you, everybody. If you like what we're doing, please sign up on patreon.com slash Petri Dish. And uh, we will see you all later this week for IQ.